Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today's guest, we are excited to have on Trina Altman. Trina, we'll turn it over to you to give a little introduction to the listeners, please. All right. So my background, I'm an interdisciplinary movement educator, I guess would be maybe a one way of describing it. Most well known in the yoga space for teaching continuing education to not just yoga teachers, but movement teachers of all kinds and personal trainers and physical therapists. So I guess I'm one of those people who, and I I know you all are too, (laughs) I think I'm pretty good at giving permission to people to break the rules. So a lot of people come to me, they've studied one method and they, they haven't yet explored other ways of moving or other ways of teaching. Um, and so I share a lot of that in the book that I wrote in all the continuing education courses that I teach. And I just, yeah, I like encouraging teachers to get curious and use their critical thinking skills rather than just following rules that they were given and maybe the initial training they took. Yeah, we see a lot of that in regards to critical thinking. There's a big lack of it. People just want to stick to what they know and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that comes out of, at least in the group fitness space, if you're only teaching group classes, right, it's not tailored to an individual. It can't be. But then suddenly you have all these questions, like somebody came up to me after class and is asking me why their arm hurt during this one movement we did. And I just don't know what to say. They're not at the point where they can be like, hey, you know, well, I, I can recommend a physical therapist to you if you haven't done PT. If you've already done PT, you know, and you want to do a private session, we can build on what you've already done in physical therapy and get you to the place where when you do this thing in class, it's probably not going to hurt anymore. So, yeah, there's, a, I think, a big divide between teachers who teach only group classes versus teachers who teach both group classes and private sessions. Well, so your book is called Yoga Deconstructed that you just wrote. Thank you for the copy. I'm a couple chapters in. It's fantastic. Love what I'm getting out of the book. You went to Brown University. I like that. I like the background (laughs) on how you got into yoga. You just took it as a, just to see what it was about. And then go from there. I had a lot of other careers before this one, so (laughs) I don't know how far back we want to go, but yeah, I studied political science as an undergrad, and my first job out of college was as a financial analyst at Goldman Sachs on Wall Street, and I got out of that pretty quickly, but it got me to New York. I'd always wanted to be a fashion designer, and so I sort of made my way into that world I guess I would say on my own because I wanted to go to fashion design school. My parents were like, no, you're not moving to New York. And no, you're not going to fashion school. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So when I got to New York and I didn't like the job at Goldman, surprise, surprise, you know, I started temping at all different types of places. I mean, this was 1994, 95. So like freelancing just became a thing. Like this was this brand new thing that you didn't have to get one job (laughs) with a salary and benefits and, you know, two weeks vacation after you'd worked there for a year. It was good for me because I I did a lot of temp jobs and advertising and publishing and just all different industries because you, who knows what you, you don't know what you want to do when you're very true. Very true. That is so true. Yeah. So I ended up working at Barney's, which is like a pretty high end department store. Mm -hmm 
that it just closed recently, but it was around, I think, since like the 30s and started taking classes at night at the Fashion Institute of Technology on my credit card, bought a sewing machine on my credit card, and eventually ended up working in fashion design at several different places in my 20s. I left New York City when I turned 29 and was still doing textile design, but it wasn't until, so I'm 49, I'll be 50 in in May. I did my yoga teacher training, my 200 hour when I was 36 years old. So that would have been in like 2007. Oh, okay. So that's where this part of the journey began. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like in the book where you talk about, first of all, making sure that today's yoga is really, most people aren't prepared for it. It's just not something that they're used to. So the rate of injuries, that was a very surprising thing to Neil and I when we read that, but that took us by surprise big time. Yeah. And you know how, I mean, what is an injury? What is pain? Mm -hmm. Uh, Injuries are so multifactorial. But yeah, I think the main thing was once I started teaching and I got out there and I realized like, okay, all these people in my class don't do any exercise at all Mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. Unlike say, if you're a personal trainer and people are not all people that do personal training, but a lot of them are like athletic and they're like, Mm -hmm. I want to get better at this or that or faster or stronger or whatever. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. who come to yoga, it's either they're hypermobile and so they're good at it, which was me. Mm-hmm. Um, or their doctor said, you know, oh, well, you know, whatever they went to their doctor for because it's hurting in their body, why don't you try yoga? And most of them had been sitting at a desk all day long and yoga was their only movement. And so, yeah, it was like, okay, how is this hot power vinyasa flow going to help them at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Again, there's nothing wrong with hot power vinyasa flow. Like it's just not for everybody, but that was the most popular type of yoga at the time when I got out of my teacher training. And and so, yeah, I was kind of figuring out, I ended up doing a Pilates teacher training after that. Mm -hmm. And that was what really, I learned biomechanics and kinesiology Mm -hmm. concepts and started working one-on-one with people because It's not so much now, but from a very long time, I'd say up until about maybe four or five years ago, if you went to Pilates studio, you had to take a private session before you were allowed into the group class. And the group class, you know, on the equipment was usually maximum of five people. So like five reformers or, Mm -hmm. you know, so I love that because I, people who come to Pilates tend to be like super perfectionist type A. (laughs) (laughs) um and controlling Uh, it it, it is it's it's like you know the background of pilates come a lot of it the elders were in the dance world it started in new york city uh, joseph pilates is german Mm -hmm. uh, and not like my last name is german so i'm not saying like (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean a lot of yoga people I would say a lot of yoga teachers are recovering type A's because <laughs> a lot of these teachers are usually just type A's. Um, and, and so it was great because I could teach the down-regulating stuff I learned from yoga to mm. the Pilates people, but to the, I could teach to the yoga people some of the things I was learning in Pilates that were a little more in line with building strength, um, body awareness that wasn't quite such huge ranges of motion equipment because with feedback, you know, there's the springs and the pulleys and, and all kinds of, I mean, that's why I love stick mobility. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm always trying to people, I think do the best when they have something that they can pull or they can push or they can yes. touch, right? Like external cues. And 
you know, with yoga, it was like, okay, well, what, we've got blocks, blankets, and maybe a strap. Let's see what we can, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the cueing in Pilates and yoga tends to be a lot of internal cues, which is, I mean, for somebody like me, I didn't understand any of it because being hypermobile, you don't have good proprioception at all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you lift your arm up and it goes behind your head. And you're like, it's back there. I didn't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Yes. Um, but other people would come and didn't have a lot of proprioception just because they weren't moving a lot or mm-hmm. they hadn't ever moved a lot as kids. So yeah, have and so I, I spent a lot of time taking things I learned from the Pilates world as well as somatics world, but also FRC. And then when I was introduced to you, I was like, this is amazing because this is, so I, for, for me, I think it's so much better than FRC because it's like FRC with a stick and more because I don't have to tell people like make fists with your hands and create as mm-hmm. much tension as you can because they're, mm-hmm. they're like, um, excuse me, we're here to stretch, <laughs> but why, you know, we're here to stretch and relax. And I'm like, no, 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 you're just, you're just pushing the stick into the ground. You're just pulling it apart. You know, like, it's mm. not like, okay, we're going to ramp up. And I'm like spouting off numbers, like 70% of your maximum, you know? And I mean, I'm down with all that kind of stuff, but it's, I just think when you have props and tools. It, it's kind of, I mean, it's no different than, than I don't have any kids, but my mom was, she got her master's degree in education and she taught elementary school. And, and so it's like, if the kids have, I went to Montessori and I remember like, imagine if the kids, like all they have are textbooks and desks, mm-hmm. right. And there's no other, like there, there's no recess, there's no play there. There's no other just things that are teaching them in ways besides say didactic, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of how, what can happen, I think in group fitness, um, especially in Pilates and yoga, there's sort of methods that are like, you should never demonstrate. You should only walk around and talk, you know? And I'm like, really? Because I'm an artist and a visual learner. And so like, if you just start telling me to like smile, my collarbones open, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Smile your collarbones open. I mean, like let your collar, you know, or, or whatever. I guess like open your collarbones and I'm like, yeah. I didn't know they closed. You know, like <laughs> I'm one of those people where I'm like very literal. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm sure it's just like what you do. Like the joy of it is solving mm-hmm. problems and helping people and using, you know, your critical thinking skills to do mm-hmm. that rather than just like learning something and then regurgitating it, at least for me. So, well, cause the other thing too, in the first, Part of it was talking about with hypermobility, dealing with pain with the hypermobility, which I don't know if a lot of the general population really perceives that as an issue for people with hypermobility. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, most everyone who's hypermobile, they need to strength train, mm-hmm. but that hasn't been in the culture at all. Like it just, it's not in the culture for women period to strength mm-hmm. train because of all the reasons why I go down that rabbit hole. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hyper mobile people for a, from a young age, uh, I'm hoping this is changing, but you know, I was born in, in 72. So there was no cross training. There was no, you know, it was like, Oh, you're flexible. Let's send you to gymnastics or let's mm. send you to dance. And then of course, eventually, you know, or, or you're trying to learn a skill. And so you would just practice that skill over and over, and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and then like hopes and prayers that you'd eventually 
be able to do it. And there's so much more that we know now, but I'm sure as, as you all know, it usually takes a good 20 years for like what's happening in the research and what's happening in the athletic space and the clinical space to get to the general public. And mm -hmm. so yeah. even though, you know, you all are teaching coaches and teachers and I'm teaching mm -hmm. coaches and teachers, we're also all teaching gen pop. It's a lot of times an uphill ba battle because we're fighting against everything they've read, mm -hmm. you know, for yeah. years and years of like, it's dangerous to lift your arm higher than shoulder height. You'll impinge, right? I mean, my husband is a uh, musculoskeletal radiologist. He's an MD and oh. that's what he was taught in medical school. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah. I like don't bend your knees, you know, past 90 degrees because it's bad for them. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's not just gen pop. It's wow. Yeah. So it's in the course course curriculum. That's and, it. you know, when when the general population hears it from their MD, that's yes. that's like that's that's it right there. This is the law. Well, and then if it's confirmed, you know, I mean, my husband now, like he just got his deadlift PR of 250 pounds. And I mean, he's a guy nice. that's like, he just loves to have his, his head in the books all the mm -hmm. time. Like mm -hmm. he's super introverted, would never played sports. I was like, what'd you do on the playground? He's like, I just sat and watched the other people play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like he's been with me for almost 20 years now. And so change can happen. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's pretty embodied in a lot of ways now, but it's just cause he's lived with me. You know, he would, if I told him to do these things, he would say, no, you know, he mm -hmm. only does them cause he sees me doing them and the benefit of them or he's competing with me. When I came home and I was like, Oh, I PR my deadlift today at one thirty-five, and <laughs> He had been saying, oh, I'm, he was working with a personal trainer. I would never do deadlifting. That's so dangerous because he sees MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays yeah. all day long. Mm. That's all he does um, in addition to teaching the residents. And so he's seeing like the worst of the worst, like mm -hmm. the guy yeah. that tore his pec off the bone doing a bench press, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so that's so. the tough part because that's when, when all he sees is that, that's at the forefront of his thought process all the time. Yeah. And until you experience it in your own body as well, like somebody can tell you like, no, you know, there's this thing and it's, you know, progressive overload and mm -hmm. rated exposure and you, you know, you do everything incrementally and, um, but it doesn't make sense until they have that experience. I think, especially people who take group fitness classes because they just know what's taught in the group fitness class, mm -hmm. right? So say the group fitness class is like a hit class and you do kettlebell stuff and burpees and so, and push-ups and whatever. And they're like, well, that's what I need to be able to do. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, there's a lot of things that are prerequisites to those things that you don't mm -hmm. even know exists because you're, you know, this is all you've been exposed to. It's like you alluded to in, in the book, as far as comparative training or making sure you, the the client or the attendee wants to do what they see the extreme being or the end product, so to speak, yes. even though they're not even close to being able to do that stuff. Right. Or the people on the other end of the spectrum, which is, a, I, I think I, um, I took a continuing education course with Jules Mitchell and Catherine Cowie 
Actually, Catherine's in, in Northern California. She's a personal trainer that specializes in hypermobility. She's oh, phenomenal. Oh, okay. Definitely have her on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yes. She, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, this is a while ago, but it was something like, and I'm going to say the number wrong because I'm so bad with numbers, but it was something insane, like 80% of hypermobile people self-select for yoga or, or I don't mm-hmm. know, 20%. Per, I can't remember. It was some crazy number of like the how many people are hypermobile that come to yoga class. Yes. And so they can, I mean, I was that person. I could do all the poses and feel mm-hmm. no stretch at mm-hmm. all. And so you keep doing that and then you have pain and then you go to, you know, physical therapy and, and you do the, hopefully, and you mm-hmm. do the physical therapy exercises, hopefully. And a lot of people stop there. Right. And then they just get on that like train of where they're just bouncing back and forth between mm-hmm stretching all the time in PT and, and only strengthening with stretchy bands. And so, yeah, I mean, the book is all about how I teach group classes, which is, you know, starting with some down regulation. I'll never forget. Like when I went through PT, that was actually the first session and I was cracking up because my PT, he's awesome. Shout out to Sean uh, Hampton. All he had me do, he like put his fingers on my ribs and told me to breathe and, you know, like I'm a yoga teacher, so I teach people how to breathe. <laughs> but obviously he says, right, like how anxious I was. And, and you know, because it's scary when you're in pain and you're hurt. And so I usually start off class like that. And then we'll do oftentimes a somatic sequence. So whether it's like a Feldenkrais sequence or, or Le Bon Martinief or Hannah somatics. And I pick that sequence based on the directions of movement at the joints that we are going to be dealing with later in the yoga pose or poses at the end of class. Mm-hmm. So it's like a way for people to be on the floor because most somatic sequences are on the floor and they don't know that they're spending first 10 minutes of class exploring like tiny movements of scapular, you know, elevation and upward rotation or mm. thoracic extension and rotation and just like the upper upper thoracic not even you know getting down to like t12 l1 because we're doing back bends mm. you know or twists and so it's soothing it's relaxing and you know and then we'll do some corrective exercises or preparatory exercises mobility drills so something a little more um you know like what you would see as a warm up for a weightlifting workout mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a physical therapy exercise. And then we'll start getting into the yoga so that they kind of have a little more of a foundation because a lot of yoga classes, like the warm up for the super stretchy poses at the end, are sun salutations, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the warm up. But sun salutations, it's like, you know, you're doing upward dog, which is with, mm-hmm. where you're on your hands and you're. Yep pelvis is off the ground and you're on your toes. And then you go from there to downward dog, which is not super accessible for most people, especially as a warm up. And then chaturanga, which is a tricep push up, mm-hmm. which a lot of most people can't even do a regular push up in, in <laughs> yoga. <laughs> right? Like that's, that would be a better place to start. Uh, and I'm saying that as being one of those people. And so, yeah, just kind of reverse engineering the poses so that things are a little more accessible in terms of a group class. And, and also, you know, because of the pandemic, so much has changed and also just so much has changed for a whole lot of other reasons. Um, a lot of the, the gurus, um, there, were, there were like three or four really popular styles of yoga. And it was, you know, a top-down situation where in, in so many ways. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of those gentlemen passed away. And so, yeah, things have, have changed a lot, but for the better. I always just taught my yoga classes at a gym because then I, 
I didn't have to toe the line of like, this is all you need, you know, sign up yeah. for a membership at the yoga studio and do yoga every day for 30 day challenge. You know, I could be like, this is regeneration. You also need to like go downstairs and do strength training and you go mm -hmm. upstairs and do some cardio or whatever, take a Zumba class. It's sort of the similar situation with kids, I think, being funneled into a specific athletic pursuit. Yeah. And then just like everything revolves around that. And then of course they get injured. So what is the most common injury in yoga? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I found that a lot of people would come in with wrist, shoulder stuff, you know, usually a good 70% of the class is spent load bearing on your hands. So plank, mm, up dog, down dog. Mm. Um, and then at the end of class, arm balances, crow pose, uh, chaturanga, mm. but other things like low back pain, you know, we're doing a lot of back bends. And if, you know, that's not something that your body is used yeah. to doing a lot of, right. That could, yeah. and, but also a lot of forward bends. So tons of forward folds, you know, like straight legged, hands to the floor, then halfway up, then back hands to the floor, then all the way arms up, which if you're deadlifting, like you're good, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. right. But if yep. you're not, if you're sitting at a desk all day and then somebody's asking you to like do a whole bunch of forward folds. Yeah. And then a lot of hip stuff because yoga, you know, and when I say yoga, I'm just talking about asana because yoga mm -hmm. is so much more than just the poses. Everything is, I always say, everything is a spread your legs event, right? Like everything stretches your adductors. <laughs> everything is like external rotate, you know, everything is external rotation, flexion and abduction for the mm -hmm. most part, a lot like ballet and, you know, some like super deep end range of motion hip positions, whether it's the seated poses on the floor or the standing poses that you're doing in lunges say, yeah, so it kind of runs the gamut, but you know, it's such a tricky topic because who's to say, right? Like, did the injury come from sitting and never moving? Yeah. Or did the injury come from the yoga? Or did the injury come from because you're going through a divorce or mm. your dog died, right? Like, mm. we know that pain is a, it's a biopsychosocial event. But I do find that a lot of people are drawn to yoga because it's seen as like a gentle, safe way to exercise for mm -hmm. people who either don't like exercise. Um, yeah. For people who don't like to upregulate their nervous system, you know, <laughs> 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 which I get it. Right. If you're at yeah. your computer for nine hours a day, like upregulated on coffee, clicking your mouse and, you know, but yeah, the book I wrote it and what I teach is to, to help educate people. Mm -hmm. Um, Movement is like food. We, we need oh, all yeah. kinds. Need all kinds. Yeah, exactly. And we're yeah. all different. Yeah. I mean, we all do. Exactly. Uh, I love correlating that. People get that correlation. Mm -hmm. They get yes. it. They're like, okay, I understand now. Because what I enjoy was your perspective on how yoga has evolved or needs to evolve because of the time period when it was created, when it came about. The way we generally move in, in industrialized countries now is vastly different today than it was eons ago. So that was a great aspect of what you wrote was how yoga needs to change to accommodate for that and to take those things into consideration. Yeah. I mean, I think even when yoga first came to the West, I mean, it's debatable about when it did, but when I think of like Richard Hittleman wrote this book in the sixties, everybody got, and then it was like all these 
uh, how do you describe them? Like super trendy women in like all black leotard cat suits with like 60s hairstyles, you know, doing yoga. And even back then, when you think about how much more people moved in their daily life in terms of things not being automated. I mean, sure, they had washers and dryers and dishwashers Mm -hmm. and all those things, but they weren't on screen. Like they were still moving more, way Mm -hmm. more than what we're doing now. I kind of saw exercise become a thing. Like my parents are baby boomers and their parents didn't exercise. Yeah, no. No, no. Like my dad started running in the 70s. He bought a pair of Nikes. My mom took me to Jane Fonda aerobics classes in the 80s. And, you know, like it uh, it felt to me like it kind of started in the 70s. Before that, people just played golf or tennis. Yeah, I have the same feel. It's like when my parents first joined Nautilus. Yeah. Yeah, I was just all like, or the yeah, racquetball I'm, club. Yeah, I was like 10. I'm like, what was what the hell is going on here? What is yeah. this? You know, and so when they take you, you're just all like, what am I doing here? I just play. Like, I play sports. What are you people doing in here? You know? Yeah, yeah. just go out and play. That was always my my concept of when that came about. But yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I think the 70s is really 80s is when it really started to proliferate. Yes. Yeah. So all this information, I mean, exercise science, like, I don't know when it started being something you could major in in school, but I would think maybe like not till the eighties. I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure, but it's relatively new. I would think, I mean, physical therapy is a very new profession as well. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you do for yoga, I know with, when we see coaches and you address this early on in the book with assisted into the movements in and out. Is that really something that you would recommend? I mean, because the person doesn't really know the person that they're working with. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what also is challenging thing to discuss. So like, if we say we're talking about yoga, so yoga, the way that it's practiced asana style was brought to the United States in like the 1920s. And the Sri Patabi Joyce, they did performances. And so Ashtanga yoga was what he called it. And they were like young 13 year old boys. And the breathing was counted to like, everything was, I think, five breaths so that the choreography would be correct. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these performances, like you would see the like one boy in a seated forward fold with another one standing on top of him, Mm. you know, and out of that. So there's Iyengar lineage. And then uh, in terms of what became popular in the West, Ashtanga lineage, and then several others, but those were the two main ones. And both of them, those two gentlemen had, gosh, it's been so long. There's, there's a lot of really good books on all the history, but it's been a while since I've read them all, but they, they were, physically abused, like Mm. really harshly for years and years and years when they were taught yoga by their guru, Mm -hmm. who was also Mm -hmm. a relative. And so that got passed down. Yeah. So there's a lot of physical violence comes with those hands-on adjustments. And, you know, I think hands-on cueing is fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but yeah, the, the types of physical adjustments that were being taught in 200-hour trainings because of the lineages that they came from were things to push you further into, you know, push you deeper into a range of motion. Yeah. 
and you know, lot like there's a whole like that's a whole nother rabbit hole of like you know not just can you hurt somebody but like touching somebody you don't know and you don't know their history you know and and consent and you know like you don't know their trauma background so um when i the way this book came about is it was in 2016 and i was in a facebook group with twenty thousand people And the woman in charge of the Facebook group, Diane Bruni, she's no longer with us, came from the Ashtanga lineage. And she had the first Ashtanga yoga studio in Toronto. And I mean, it was like, there was just a huge boom. Yoga teachers in New York City in the late 90s were making teaching, like teaching privates all over the city. Mm -hmm. You know, it was when Sting started to do yoga Mm -hmm. and Madonna, you know, making $150 an hour. So the, the industry has had all these cycles (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know how we want to go down the rabbit hole of of like all the abuse and, and all that, but COVID changed a lot of that for the better, because I, I think there were a lot of studio owners that, really like the, there were teachers that would come take continuing education courses with me and be like, you know, my studio, the studio owner won't, will fire me if I don't give on hands on, give hands on assists. Like oh. we're supposed to touch every single person and that makes me uncomfortable. So this is the oh. culture in which yoga 200 hour trainings, most of them were, were taught, including mine. Um, and I had a wonderful experience and it was not the Ashtanga lineage, it was Iyengar and, and, you know, but again, it, it kind of comes to critical thinking skills, right? So if somebody learns that and maybe hasn't done any therapy, they might understand that somebody might not want some random person that they just paid $15 for a class that has, you know, and there's no regulation either in yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the barrier to entry is very low, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah, because I mean, the whole thing is, is applying pressure to somebody's ribs but giving a little bit too much pressure can result in some serious issues. So that t- whole type of thing of of knowing really how to regulate that is is it takes years of experience. Yeah, and there's no conversation in a group class. So like in a private yeah. session, you know, say you're working with somebody one-on-one and maybe, you know, you're doing like book openers, so like a supine twist mm-hmm. and you know, you're you could say to them, "Hey, I think if I you know, just gently press right here and you take a breath in and then exhale it out. You might get like, I don't know, another centimeter or two worth Mm -hmm. of rotation and it might feel really good. Are you comfortable with that? Let's try Mm -hmm. it. Do you want to try it? And they Mm -hmm. can say yes or no. And I mean, a lot of my clients have been with me for eight or nine years. We moved Mm -hmm. here 10 or 11 years ago, but in a group class, you know yeah it's but, hard right <laughs> you don't know anything there's no intake form like for a private session right they fill out the intake form all their surgeries all their you know why are they coming to you mm-hmm. what do they what is their goal so yeah i think that everybody being forced to be online with their group yoga classes cuz i would say things when i would teach in person before the pandemic you know reminding people over and over, you're the boss of your body. Like, just because I say to do something doesn't mean you need to do it or you should do it. You know, like, this is a group class and I don't know you that well. And, and mm-hmm. you know, again, going back to a lot of the sort of authoritarian sort of guru top-down culture mm-hmm. in which yoga... And, and Pilates has the same thing as well. So, 
Joseph okay. was pretty, he was pretty, like there's a lot of videos. Like of just straight, yeah, just boom, I mean, you yeah. know, like where somebody's doing a forward fold and he's got his hand on their head going like, tum, tum, you know? <laughs> because I mean, it was the times too. It, yeah, right? yeah, it was, it like, was, yes. I think when I was in public school in the seventies, I remember one of my teachers had like one of those wooden paddles, you know, mm. at some point, I think that was first grade. So it was outlawed, right. That you couldn't hit kids in public yeah, school. Corporal punishment was a thing right. back in the day. It, <laughs> but was. it, was, more that, it was a thing. It was, yes. yeah, it was. And so Pilates too, because of the dance background, especially ballet specifically, you know, teachers hitting the ballet students with a stick. And so that got, translated into Pilates. So yeah, the, I wrote the book for many, many reasons. Um, mm. You know, there's that whole chapter on pain science and a lot about being aware of, of trauma. And, and also yoga teachers get asked all kinds of questions after class that they, you know, like a question you would ask your therapist or a question you would ask your mm. physical therapist or a question you would ask your orthopedist. For some reason, there's this sense of, I guess, because you do Shavasana, you're relaxed at the end of class. And when they go to their doctor, you know, the doctor has five minutes or whatever, 10 yeah. minutes, yeah. right? Whereas they're like, oh, my yoga teacher, we chat after class. And so I've written quite a few articles on scope of practice for, for yoga teachers. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's very good. Well, I know the one thing that we chatted about a couple weeks ago that you chimed in on was lever lengths and limb lengths. Yes. And it was great for you to follow up on that because it's like, ah, somebody's listening to that. So it is yeah. it, the, that what we're born with is really important to take into consideration yeah. in how we train and how we move. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients, Pilates private clients, you know, that have, you know, she had very short waist. So like not much space at all between the bottom of her rib cage and the top of her pelvis and okay. like super long arms and legs. There's, you know, like V ups would be the mm -hmm. fitness term in Pilates. Mm -hmm. They call it the teaser and yoga. It's called boat pose. You're like lying on your back. It's, it's kind of like a hollow body hold, but you go mm -hmm. up and down. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why is it so hard for me? I've been doing Pilates. And I'm like, girl, you got legs that go on for miles <laughs> and your torso is like this big, you know, like, <laughs> yep, my torso right. is super long and I have short legs. It's, it matters. Like this stuff matters, but it's not really discussed or taught. Yeah, because the amount of torque that, that that those different levers create, and plus just simple range of motion, yes. uh, you know how far your arm extends away from your midline dictates a lot, or how far your leg extends away from your midline dictates a lot. Even like what we talked about, the relationship of the size difference between the upper and lower leg bones. You know, if you got a lower leg bone that's actually a little bit longer or equal distance to the femur, well, that changes a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing in, in the yoga space as in the strength and conditioning where, you know, people are like, oh, everyone should squat this way. And like, that's what mm -hmm. they, you know, and then, then they suddenly have a client that's got like super long femur bones and short waisted. And they're like, uh oh, like, <laughs> am I, right? <laughs> right. They're not doing it like the picture in the book or like the, you know, the person demoing it in my training and, and not knowing that that's okay. Like, that's it. Yeah. I think that's something that we would like to see taught a little bit more especially to the incoming newbies into the industry you know that that would that should be a really significant part of their education is is really taking into consideration the structural components of their clients of their individuals yeah and how, how can they adapt you know the movement to that person yes. right away yeah 
Yeah. In my continuing education courses, I, and in the book, so lever length is one of the things, but mm-hmm. I, I would just, I travel around teaching and, and everyone was saying, what's the modification for that pose? What's the modification? Like they had to memorize a modification for every pose. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you just have to understand these principles. So mm-hmm. like I would, I wrote it all out, you know, and it was like, okay, there's this thing called, you know, orientation to gravity. So like maybe we can change the orientation to gravity to regress it or progress the pose. Maybe we can close some chains or partially close some chains. So like, Warrior three, which is where you're balancing on one leg and, you know, you're reaching your arms for, it's like a a one-legged handstand, but you're, you know, and like, maybe we put your hands on the wall and see, you know, how it feels then if you can't balance and just, but like giving, I'm like, you don't need to memorize that. You just need to understand open chain, closed chain, partially closed chain. You know, maybe you do partially closed chain with a a, a yoga strap or a stretchy band Mm -hmm. until they, you know, the person is ready for that full open chain movement. But those exercise science principles just hadn't quite made it yet into the Pilates and yoga space, Mm -hmm. except for say teachers who did, you know, do an undergrad in exercise science or, you know, were personal trainers as well and worked mm-hmm. one-on-one with clients and understood load and, and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Cause I know what, what, yeah, when I first broke in the industry, that was never, you know, you learn levers, but you learn right. it more from just a lifting aspect of what the, what each lever does, how it increases or decreases the stimulus, but you're never really taught. Okay. This Joe, Joe Schmo's arm is this long in relation to the torso? You're like, oh well, that's that makes a big yeah. difference in how this person, what exercises that person yeah. excels at, and what exercises or movements the person has a really difficult time with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Ashtanga yoga, which was you know, Patabi Joyce like really kind of mashed together what he learned from Swedish gymnastics and wrestling, but when you, there's this thing called a jump through and I'm sure it has like everything has a million names and different methods, Mm -hmm. but say you're in a downward dog and then you like hop your feet up and jump through to a seated position. Mm -hmm. If you have long arms and a short torso, you're going to be able to do that. And then there's the jump back too. Right. Yeah. But if you don't like, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I need blocks to make my arms longer. Like this is not going to (laughs) happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, and that's a perfect judgment, right? Get blocks to allow that person to now go through that movement. Cause without them, it's just going to be really difficult. Yeah. And even back bends is the same thing. So if you have a longer torque, like if you have more space between your rib cage and your pelvis, I mean, not always, but I, I've had a lot of people come up to me and they're like, it doesn't matter. Every back bend I do, it always hurts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like, well, there is like, you know, they'll have like not even an inch space between, they're just really short-waisted, mm-hmm. um, their bottom rib, you know, and I'm like, how about triangle? Oh, I hate triangle, right? Because triangle pose is like, the same. it's like, I feel like my rib is just like banging into my, you know, alien yeah. bone. like, because it is. Because it is, yeah. It's closed the gap pretty quickly because there was a small gap to start with. And you just closed it really quickly. Yeah. It's very true. But I love teaching. I mean, I just had such, I had the best experience doing that private training with you for for Best Stretch Ever for Equinox. Because as somebody who teaches, you know, continuing education, I was just blown away. You know, I was like, I'm Dennis's biggest fan. Like, I was just like one day and I was like, I mean, 
you're just, you're, you know, you're such an incredible teacher and the way that the sticks, you know, are being used every time I teach, I still teach a weekly best stretch ever class Ooh, at Equinox nice. on Thursday oh, morning. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And people constantly have these aha moments over and over and over again. And, and it's so simple, but it's like, you know, they'll be like, wow, like, wow, I have no grip strength. And it's like, well, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> like if you're not, you know, lifting weights in a pulling fashion or lifting weights at all, then yeah, like, yeah, holding onto a stick for a little while is going to feel hard because we're only good at the things we do regularly. Yeah. Well, it's like you brought that up where you said yoga, you talked about yoga does predominantly the pushing, but yeah, it really awesome. lacks the pulling. And I hadn't really thought about that until I read that. I was like, oh, that is so true. There's really not a lot of pulling in that, in their practice. And that's really, yeah, it becomes a problem because, I mean, for years and years and years, I don't know if it's still done, but when I did my teacher training, it was like, yoga is all you need. You, mm. should you should practice yoga every day. And that was meaning like pranayama, breathing, meditation, mm. your Ayurvedic practices, and your asana. But because we are in America, <laughs> right? And, and also people need to move more. And capitalism, right, is selling, you know, people want the yoga poses. Most people don't want to do breathing and meditation. Yeah, and no. so the yoga every day thing became yoga poses every day. And so the super hypermobile, flexible people, you know, got overuse injuries, right. From mm -hmm. just stretching and not having a balanced movement diet. And then other people who weren't flexible, like got more flexible, but then usually at that three year mark, all the aches and pains start to emerge because uh, all they're doing is yoga. So something that was like made them feel so much better is now making them feel not good. Do you think there's like this kind of competition to go further and further okay. and take the pose deeper and deeper and deeper too? Yes. I mean, that was the whole cultural zeitgeist for years and years. I, I say I live in a little bit of a bubble, so I, it might still be that way. You know, I'm in this like little bubble of people that are movement nerds and study all the things, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, it was hashtag yoga every damn day. All the cues were like, find your edge and see if you can go just a little bit further, which again, there, there's nothing wrong with that, but mm -hmm. if yeah. you're only doing yoga and you know, you're hearing that and, and also, I mean, I would guess for somebody who's on the other end of the collagen spectrum, you know, so if you think about like, I took a, a training with Robert Schleip and I loved how he described it. He's like, there's temple dancer fascia people and mm -hmm. there's Viking fascia people. And mm -hmm. there's like this continuum along the way. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so, the, you know, like if you're a Viking fascia person and you just keep pushing and stretching and you're not strengthening as well, like then I would think that that eventually could be a, not a good situation for maybe some of your ligaments mm -hmm. and tendons in the same way that it would not be such a good situation for the temple dancer fascia person is that trepidation to do strength training amongst a lot of yoga people because they think that they're going to lose on the end as far as flexibility wise i've definitely heard that that's one of many um you know oh well i'm gonna tighten up and lose my range of motion and i try to explain about the nervous system and you know <laughs> 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 and they're like yeah yeah whatever <laughs> 
Um, but at least if they're coming to my class, you know, we're sure we do some passive stretching, but a lot of what we do is load-based stretching and also things that are going to challenge their brain. And, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. And I think the other thing would be CrossFit because for so long it was like yoga or CrossFit, Mm -hmm. right? And so like you go to yoga and you either get lucky and it's a good class and it makes sense for your body or you're like in the completely wrong style of yoga and you're like, this is horrible. Um, and then same thing for CrossFit, right? You go to a really good CrossFit box with good coaches and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I could do some straight. Or you go to one and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. You know, <laughs> if I have to hang from rings, like what are you talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I do, I think the way, you know, movement is marketed and and sold, it's it's tricky because a lot of these brick and mortar places where Mm -hmm. you want to have a community, right? It becomes Mm -hmm. your community. Yes. And so you end up doing just that one thing because you get better and better at it. So you spend more time doing more and more of it and barrier to entry. I mean, I, I've always done strength training. I, I would go with my mom, you know, to the gym with her trainer and like watch what was happening and be like, Oh, I could do that. Like this is, you know, this, this looks Mm -hmm. like fun, but I, you know, like you two, I would see the gym as like a jungle gym of places. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, cool. Look at all these things to play with where most people are like, Oh my God, what are these machines? It's like a (laughs) dungeon or something scary. Yeah. So I I do think there's a lot of barrier to entry for, for many reasons, even just finding a personal trainer would say, if you want to strength train that I mean, for me, like I, I wanted to find a personal trainer, but I knew they had to understand hypermobility. Yeah, mm, that's yes. And that's right. hard. that was hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that would be really difficult to find. Yeah. yeah, because it takes me so much longer to get strong because of the huge ranges of motion I have. Yeah. So what does your training week look like? Do you spend more time strength training than practicing yoga? I love moving. So I'm always like slightly embarrassed to say what it is because I do so much movement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I used to travel all the time to teach. And obviously Mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to travel. We'll see. I mean, with this new variant, who knows what'll happen. I've I've booked a bunch of things for January, February and in April and stuff, but we'll see what happens. And then I used to teach all my private clients at a studio where I would rent by the hour. Mm-hmm. And so with the pandemic, now I either teach them on Zoom or I have a garage studio. And then same thing with the traveling to teach Con Ed, just like you guys who are traveling all over. You know, I mm. did a lot of that online. So with that being said, yeah, every week, I used to only do two hours of strength training a week, but now I do three. Okay. And then I, uh, I take these, they're like jumping trampoline classes. So, you know, the rebounders, yeah, but yeah. not the little circle ones. Uh, the, the brand is called jumping fitness. And I, I used to take classes in person and now I have one at home and it's the greatest thing. Cause I would drive it's LA like 45 minutes each way. And then, you know, you're like dripping with sweat and you're anyways. So I do a couple of those classes each week and, and then in term, and then I, when things open back up, I went back to Pilates studio. So I'll take like one or two reformer classes 
And it's crazy because I've been teaching forever. And I, because of the strength training, like now I'm in the, I'm in like the secret advanced class that they don't put on the schedule that you have to, <laughs> I know. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's just because I've gotten stronger because I didn't know Pilates during the pandemic. And then in, in terms of yoga and mobility, a lot of what I do is prepping for what I teach. So I'm doing stick mobility stuff because mm. I'm thinking about what I'm going to teach to my class on Thursdays. Yeah. I'm doing, you know, yoga, creating yoga deconstructed courses. And I have a lot of online continuing education courses, but then also just my regular classes. So I'm, I'm always just like playing around and learning things from other people and and putting it together and sharing it with my students as I know you all do. And I mean, that's like the joy for me is, is like Mm -hmm. seeing how things, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing how it sticks. (laughs) Yeah. So what have you found the biggest benefit from, from the trampoline? I know it's supposed to be great for like lymphatic flow. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, it's, it's always been hard for me to find a type of cardio that I enjoy. Ah, I did high impact aerobics in the eighties, as I said, like Jane Fonda, (laughs) but I was like a teenager. So I could jump Mm -hmm. up and down. You know, I was a competitive cheerleader. So like I was doing, you know, backflips and you know, on basketball courts and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so then I did step aerobics in the nineties. Cause that was like, everyone got hurt doing high impact aerobics. So then it was step aerobics. <laughs> then true. that like went out of style. Yeah. And so I, I was doing some hit classes at, at Equinox, but when this jumping studio opened, I was like, and, and I'll do some like dance classes, but I'm not a dancer. Like I, I'm not good with choreography. And so I took this jumping class and I was the, from this guy who's like a master trainer, like flied, flies all over the world, used to be a ballroom dancer and a ballroom choreographer. And I know what I love about it because I've tried other styles is that your dance, it's brain, it's all brain stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like quick footwork, all these different but I can't hurt myself because I'm on the trampoline. So like whenever I take regular dance classes, I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to sprain my ankle. (laughs) (laughs) Or like if I keep doing this twerking Zumba thing, my low back is not going to be happy. (laughs) Whereas on the trampoline, it's like, it doesn't matter. You can mess up and you know, you're just not going to hurt yourself and you're bouncing around and it like, it's happy and it's challenging for my brain. I get bored with like the elliptical or I spinning class, you know, like, no, I just, yeah. Yeah. So one of my teachers, she actually was a former dancer too. So she comes up with some cool choreography, but if you're not into choreography, like there are so many jumping classes that are just like super, one of my friends, I like sent her a link for the classes I take. And she's like, this kind of feels like I'm on a carnival cruise doing, you know, (laughs) dance (laughs) lessons. And then I was like, yeah, no, this isn't for everyone. And then she sent me uh, like a YouTube link of the one she liked. And I started to take it and I was like, oh my God, this is so boring. Like, <laughs> you know, we're just doing like jump squat, jump, you know, like it was felt like robot, like jumping jacks, you know, yeah. arms up and down. And I was like, no, no, no. My brain needs more of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny because try uh, it. Yeah, no, I, I love trampolines. That was one of, when I did gymnastics as a kid, that was probably my favorite thing to do. Me too. Uh, my least favorite was actually the uneven bars. And Not the, the balance beam? I no, I loved, I loved the balance beam. The parallel bars were good and trampoline was my favorite, but it was, for me, it was in midair type stuff. <laughs> On the bars was kind of, even as a kid, I was kind of, there was a little bit of trepidation and I, I couldn't let go, sort of, sort of. 
So I know that was one of my biggest uh, issues when I took gymnastics as a kid. But a trampoline was awesome. I love yeah. that. Oh, so I mean, in the foam pits, uh, you know, and then they put the belt around you and it's a, it's the same idea. They're like, okay, try a flip. And you're like, cool. Like if I fall, I'm not going to hurt myself. You know? <laughs> yeah. That was the thing. Cause with the trampoline, you're like, boing, you just, you bounce right back up. So it, yeah. was, it was, they removed that trepidation right there for you. It, it was funny. We were, Sherry and I were just in Utah and I guess in Utah, trampolines are a thing. Yeah. People just build them in their backyards. Okay. So uh, it was kind of funny. Friends of ours just moved there, and one of her friends is an orthopedic surgeon. He's all like, "Oh, trampolines are terrible for people," and I'm like, "Well, yes, because you're seeing the 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 bad results that happen, but trampolines overall, are, I, yeah. I really enjoy them." Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I, w- I we didn't have one, but I had friends who had them, and then of course at gymnastics. But my friends who had them, I mean, we would be out there for hours. Oh yeah. But there was no net around. <laughs> right like that it was just yeah i mean yeah it was crazy. i'm like i don't even know how i'm here and i didn't crack my head open all the crazy stuff i did as a kid you know like dude there was it was just yeah, yeah. we rode bikes without helmets yeah, no we helmets. were good yeah we were good no we're still here we're no still here i yeah. know i mean even you know the like now the the trampolines have the elastic bands rather than the springs so, oh, you know, like right. the metal spring. So a yes. lot of it was like, you know, you could get your finger caught in the spring. Yeah. Or just mainly just fall off. But I know those trampoline parks, they look like fun. The the ones where it's just like there, it's like a whole floor of, of just. You did that, right? Well, no, I went into, there's a, there's a you trampoline park us. right by the hockey rink. So I stopped in on the way back and the guy looked at me <laughs> like I was a weirdo. Because I was oh. like, oh, how much is it for me to come in and trampoline? <laughs> and he's all like, you're bringing your kid? No, I don't have any kids. I just want me. And he did. He looked at me like, you're a weirdo. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, really? Adults don't just come in here? He's like, no. He's like, you know, so right. not without their kids. Like, they bring their kids in here. But he was looking at me like, so I was just like, right, yeah, I, we haven't done it yet because I want to get Sherry out there. But well, yeah, you can, you can take my kids. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. That would work. But yeah, Neil's I, like babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. No, so that's fantastic. Yeah. So, well, thank you for coming on today. We appreciate it. Uh, social media, uh, way people can follow you or get a hold of you? Yeah. Everything's on my website, which is trinaaltman.com. And, um, you know, my Instagram is at trinaaltman. So, all my online continuing education courses are there. All the info for free stuff is there. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, you know, there's, there's like free things. And then I, I teach classes on Yoga International and Yoga Anytime. So there's like a, a free code for, I think it's like the first month if you want to do some online. But if you're local in LA too, I always love meeting people in real life. I'm an in real life person. Like that is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank Trina. You. Thank you. Thank we appreciate you. your time and your input and your information. It was very valuable. So thank you very much. Well, and uh, to all the listeners out there, until next episode, be good to each other. Thank you 
for listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on, either Apple, iTunes or Spotify, please, if you could leave a review, we'd appreciate that. If you have any questions that we can answer for you, be sure to leave those in the comments also. If you're looking for more information on our education, our products, please go to www.stickmobility.com. And also hit that subscribe button to that YouTube channel. And don't forget our live Instagram classes three times a week. If you want to join in, grab your sticks and hit that 45 minute class.